Hello, gorgeous ghouls, comely creeps, pretty perverts, and arresting wretches. Do you miss the weekly episodes of Girls, Guts, and Jallo? Well, the good news is you can now subscribe directly through Spotify to receive bonus episodes of this podcast. Subscribe in-app or visit anchor.fm slash girlsgutsgiallo slash subscribe. That's anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash girlsgutsgiallo, giallo is G-I-A-L-L-O slash subscribe. I'm also extremely active on my Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgutsjello. With a subscription to my Patreon, you'll receive access to more of my thoughts on subversive film through notes, bonus episodes, screenings, and chats. You can choose your tier level starting at $1 just to show your support and going up to $15 to get all my content. A very popular option is the $8 Cruel Mistress tier, which patrons have affectionately titled Saturday Film School. You'll receive access to my private channel where I go live, show films, and chat during the film with patrons. Screenings include a 20-minute to 30-minute introduction by yours truly that provides historical context and scholarship for the films we're watching as part of our theme of the month. Past themes include the black female vampire, queer leather sex on film, documentary film and women in porn, Mexican cult horror, and so much more. And I always dress on theme for the show, of course. It's like if Elvira were fat and gay, obsessed with abject theory and teaching a film class. Sign up at patreon.com slash girlsgutsjallo. That's patreon.com slash girlsgutsjello to join me in my lair. Enjoy the show. You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. There's like a lady in the dream also who says you better have your legs tied down in case of convulsions that like angelic lady who comes down the staircase i think that not supposed to be jackie kennedy oh you're right you're right it is yeah it feels very which is just like such an odd thing for her to be saying and it's an interesting inclusion obviously both of them being the first catholics elected um to that office was very notable at that time but also that she was like the icon of like the perfect homemaker yes that is so true stylish you know she was like very forward thinking in fashion and like so um i feel like very influential to people like rosemary's character yes and even in her subconscious to jackie kennedy rosemary is accommodating yes she's like i wouldn't want to cause any trouble like as she is being raped by a beast-like creature <laughs> that we assume it that we assume is Satan, she's still mm-hmm. being accommodating. Um, I mean, that's just like classic 
woman problem. Yeah, like, I feel do like. we even have to say anything else? About, like, I know. I'm like, is this a Twitter joke I already wrote? Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Am I bothering you during this rape? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> There's just like a weird thing that I do sometimes is like make where a I like where I like raped. don't want to get raped. It's just this like weird thing <laughs> it's just that like I do. Like a crazy so. thing. Eh, sorry, so stupid. <laughs> oh my god, no! Nope. I'll just be quiet now. I'll just be quiet now. Oops, <laughs> awkward. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> How the the scene is filmed? There's like all these close-ups, abstract, fragmented body parts. Um, as this they they this beast like paints blood on her body, and this is a famous line where Rosemary kind of like comes to and says, "This is no dream," like she knows it's real, and mm-hmm. in the dream she also kisses the Pope's ring as the devil rapes her and says, "Am I forgiven, Father?" Which like oof. I mean, it just, like, gives me chills because of, like, the shame Mm -hmm. aspect of rape, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. you feel like you're the one that needs to be forgiven or absolved. Yes, as if she had any control over any of what had happened at that point. Exactly. Guy wakes Rosemary up in the morning like an absolute piece of shit, demanding (laughs) that she make him breakfast. I didn't fucking... remember that part and it shocked me. I was like, wait, why is he waking her up for so that he makes she makes him breakfast, but he's already awake? Like Go fuck yourself. It is the hubris. It's next level, really. I think if you tried to pitch that today, people would be like, too on the nose. Right. <laughs> like he's too awful. He needs to be more likable. <laughs> Guy, I mean Roman Polanski wrote a very good abuser. Let's just put it that way. Well, and we have to wonder, having not lived through that period, how much is diggish, diggish, how much is dickish through our like modern feminist lens and like how much was actually the way that men treated women and why there was such a huge, you know, feminist movement in the 60s, um, like, you know, white women specifically focused on these domestic struggles. Like this is exactly what like the feminine mystique was written about you know so exactly this movie is the feminine mystique Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) the the actual adaptation (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly so guy tells this is this i seen i find more disturbing than the the actual rape scene because Mm -hmm. like in my experience like having been assaulted while i was drunk like that in itself was horrific but i didn't Mm -hmm. really remember a lot of it mm-hmm. but the reaction afterwards from my partner was worse almost than uh-huh. what had actually happened and that so I just find this scene like particularly dare I say triggering um yes I agree I think it it also feels really realistic because just the way that he tries to cajole her into agreeing that it wasn't that big of a deal is like exactly – I think people who haven't been raped or haven't admitted that something they've gone through has been raped, they, they like to bang on this idea that it's like some very monstrous sort of thing that happens in a very obvious way or in my experience and that of I'm sure people that you know as well in your own experiences, it's much more like – 
not obvious. It's people that you know or that you love already telling you that like even if you were upset and you didn't while well, you weren't into what was happening, it's like it's okay. It was okay, right? Like there's a lot more cajoling and like agreeable totally. trying to less of like a a stranger you know <laughs> well and I will I will tell you also like in my instance it was strangers and oh, okay. it was still like that so interesting it's sorry re- I didn't mean to make any abs- assumptions Absolutely. no it's totally fine I it's really just I think people say that they that they would take it seriously if it was that, but they still mm-hmm. don't. Like they still have to find a way for it to be your fault, right? Like mm-hmm. in my case, it was because I was drunk, right? And with <sighs> like, um, like what happened with um, Brock Turner, like in her case, it was you know the the defense used that she was drunk, right? Even mm-hmm. though they were strangers, so mm-hmm. it's really just all about putting it back on the the victim, no matter who the perpetrator is. And in mm-hmm. this case, you know, guy, you know, it's interesting in this because guy isn't actually the one who rapes her um, because mm-hmm. it's Satan, but he takes the blame for it. And in a way, because of that, it likens it to rape what he's done Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is perhaps unintentionally very feminist like likening the complicity to Mm -hmm. the act um because you know she says she wakes up with like all these scratches all over her body and um you know which aren't like big monstrous scars like we see you know a, a monster hand the night before but we don't see like these crazy you know animal like wounds on her they're they're human fingernail scratches right and guy says i didn't want to miss baby night so he admits to raping her in her sleep um and spousal rape was still legal at that time so it's very much well, in Well, many line. people still don't think that that's a thing. Yes, exactly. Um, Rosemary showers um, very contemplatively, very much like you would after a rape. Um, very classic kind of trope in, mm-hmm. in rape scenes is the woman showering afterwards. Um, she brings the chocolate mousse bowls back to Minnie. As Guy practices for his role on crutches, Rosemary asks if they're going to... This scene is so heartbreaking. Rosemary asks if they're going to talk about how he hasn't even been able to look at her. Mm, and it's, I think that's like a really hard-hitting line. Yeah. Like, that's like a hurt. That's like, whew, I feel like I got the wind knocked out of me for that line. Yeah, because in in the case of this the film in like the literal sense he can't look at her because of he knows she's carrying like satan's baby and that he's facilitated that but Mm -hmm. on like a you know we can also read into that and it's kind of you know the way that rape victims are treated like damaged goods afterwards like Mm -hmm. people can't look look at them directly um or so he's like can't look at her because of that and also like his own guilt yeah, I, I definitely read into that a little bit, too, of like his own. The only time we really get to see any of his humanity is in that point is like the little bit of guilt that you get from him. 
but it's because this is like before he's like even on he has the part right but they're still doing rehearsals and stuff so like you only see it before his success really takes off and then after that you don't really see the same guilt from him again right so dr hill calls to tell um rosemary that she's pregnant this was a doctor recommended to her by a friend um that's relevant and she's super elated um i love this detail where she writes the word blood on her calendar for her doctor's appointment for her blood blood drawing i thought about you when i was watching that specifically so i was like i thought about me too (laughs) i thought about me too that's how you put your dates in the calendar blood blood in a red marker uh rosemary tells guy that she's pregnant and he reacts really strangely like an asshole gaslighter um you know he doesn't even he's like great okay Uh, because he knows it's not his yeah yeah but she doesn't know that Uh, right like you're an actor dude like he's supposed to be a great well you can kind of see why he hasn't taken off which i think is really interesting because even when we see him practicing it's like so heavy-handed and over the top yeah he's not good yeah like he needs witchcraft yeah (laughs) (laughs) literally yeah because it's like here's the greatest role of his life is right in front of him pretending that he didn't you know set his wife up to be raped by the devil and he cannot bear to even pretend to be a good husband which i think is really interesting for like five minutes um guy immediately wants to tell minnie and roman which is so Mm. weird so gross like can we just Right, like stop involving the neighbors. Yeah, and he are, he says he already told them that they were trying. Ugh. Just so you know, Rosemary and I have been fucking raw. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Guy, um, um, I really love this like tracking shot of Minnie and Roman like bursting into the apartment and the camera is like following them backwards. It's so good because it feels like they're coming right at you. Exactly. In their PJs. Um, And stylish as ever. (laughs) Right. And I know that it's supposed to be like ominous, but I'm like, I want Minnie to break into my house and give me a hug in her PJs. Yeah, exactly. Bring me and bring me jewelry. (laughs) And like strange herbs. (laughs) Immediately, Roman and Minnie insist that Rosemary switch to their friend, a society doctor named Abe Saperstein, another Jewish name. And Minnie calls him from their house and arranges an appointment with him for the next morning. It all happens very fast. Rosemary gets no chance to decide if that's what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that really disturbing. Like, who makes phone calls this quickly? Like, I get things recommended, people recommended to me all the time, and then it like, just sits on a pad of paper near my computer for six months. Like, yeah, it's very like we're doing this right now. I mean, it's all very calculated. Um, and right. it feels like that too. And you can, you know, Rosemary is just so happy that she's kind of going with it. Mm-hmm. Um, she asks that they don't tell anyone else right away. Um, she lays at awake at night restless. And then she decides to put the Tannis root necklace on. And I was wondering, why do you think she did that? Yeah, I wonder about that too. And I wonder if it's like at that point she thinks that they are well-meaning because they're trying to help her with the doctor that like being pregnant has put this sort of like 
rose-colored glasses on everything for her. And she's like, this is my life I'm supposed to be living. And she's just going to take everything at face value because everything's going to be great from now on. That's kind of how I read it too. Or like it's a sim- symbol that she's like accepting their help or mm-hmm. – yeah. Uh, Rosemary visits Dr. Saperstein, who basically <laughs> abuses her also and tells her, don't bother reading, don't bother learning anything, don't have any control, only listen to me and drink Minnie's herbal potion every day. The way he's like, don't read books is like the, <laughs> the most blatant sexism. He's a, I ni- just... he's a nightmare doctor. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, too, about the Tannis root being like a symbol of her letting go of her intuition. Because it's like Rosemary is smart. Like she went to um, she went to college. She has her BA. She was like actively this isn't really in the movie, but like she's actively taking classes, like additional classes on philosophy in the book. And like she's a very intellectual person. She's just not seen that way by people. But when you finally see her friends, they're all very like chatty and cool and arty. And thoughtful as well. So I I do feel like the Tannis root is like a symbol of her like kind of oppressing her own intellectual curiosity because I just don't think Rosemary before this would have had a man tell her don't read books and been like, okay, like she clearly did like reading. She's reading a book in this movie before she's pregnant and it's like and the woman you know sitting on a very comic moment but i feel like that's like another symbol of like her intellectual like oppression and yeah so i think that that's just something interesting that there's no pushback on that it could almost make you irritated with rosemary if you weren't watching it on her side because it's just so infuriating that she doesn't stand up for herself right right so rosemary walks in with her new haircut famous haircut she says i've been to vidal sassoon while guy is practicing her little pixie haircut that i used to bring to the hairdresser when i had a pixie to get the same one oh i love that that was really by vidal sassoon like that was yeah that was their like famous cut at the time yeah and guy hated it as did uh mia farrow's husband at the time frank sinatra what do they know? <laughs> they don't know shit. No, Frank Sandra had the same style until he died. How many fucking decades did he go through with that goddamn hat? Like, right. come on. Fuck like, off. <laughs> you don't know anything about fashion. Meanwhile, she's still like the most iconic. Like that period of her life is still like the most iconic. Exactly. Exactly. And she- like, nobody's taking pictures of old blue eyes to the hairdresser. <laughs> 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 jealous ass bitches for real if only they could see her now she tells guy that she has pain in her pelvis and she goes to saperstein and he says it's nothing to worry about remember don't read books the pain will be gone in two days rosemary begins to wither away in pain she becomes frail and pale she tells guy i look awful he says you look great it's your haircut that looks awful also gaslighting yeah absolutely she loves the haircut we're not talking about the haircut hair and femininity and like how long hair like represents like the ultimate and like feminine um success 
you know, just like fertility and that like what it means to be cutting off her hair. It's like one like last gasp of independence that she makes. You're right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so symbolic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the last thing that's like really hers. Mm -hmm. And she tries to grab things that are hers throughout the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And then at the end, she realizes like she's in this impossible situation where like she has no rights, which is really quite how abuse works like you know Mm -hmm. it builds and builds and builds and then by the time you get to this like fever pitch you're like oh my god how did I even get here like Mm -hmm. it's that really is the experience of it so Hutch comes over and is really horrified by Rosemary's appearance because he's an actual friend Um, (laughs) and he he can't believe that Rosemary is pregnant because she looks so frail she's Um, lost weight Yes. And she's been pregnant for like a month or two, a couple yeah. months, right? A couple, a few months, yeah, and yeah. In, in pain for months. And Hutch asks questions about her health and Saperstein, who actually delivered his daughter's babies. Um, and as if conjured, Roman comes to the door and basically invites himself in to meet Hutch. Uh, Rosemary notices Roman's pierced ear which I feel like would not be as notable nowadays, but in 1966 was notable yeah. for an older man to have a pierced ear. <laughs> um, that must mean he's weird. Yeah, definitely. I know we both were like, why on the ear? Why are we looking at this earlobe? It like took us until she actually said it. Right. We, like did not register why it mattered. Hutch and Roman meet and it's like a bit of a subtle face off. Roman is they're like the foil the foils to each other. They're like mm-hmm. the same character, but Roman is like the evil Hutch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And Rosemary mentions the Tannis root and Hutch is like super skeptical. And if you watch Roman's face during that scene, it's like so brilliantly acted, the way he's just like mm-hmm. watching his every word and like he mm-hmm. he's something's going on up there. Oh, yeah. He's always like prepare. He's like trying to be a step ahead, preparing like the answer and like this intellectual like volleying back and forth. That exactly. They're doing. Exactly. And they argue about like modern medicine. And it was in this rewatch that I kind of realized Hutch represents like the salvation of modern medicine while mm. Roman is like the, you know, herbs and, you know, pagan shit the old ways yeah the it has like ways. an element of folklore to it yes exactly and it's being positioned as evil um right. <laughs> and hutch is you know a good guy who's like well certainly these pills must go through rigorous testing <sighs> and it's like mm, okay <laughs> <laughs> and roman also says very ominously i'm sure we'll meet again I did not like that. He also, Hutch says of Roman, he has pierced ears and piercing eyes. Yeah, that was a quip. Yeah. Very good, Hutch. He's a delight the entire time. <laughs> Rosemary says of the cast of Eds that sometimes I think they're too helpful. Guy mm-hmm. comes home and is like weird towards Hutch, somebody who used to be his friend. And right. He gives guy gives Hutch back his jacket, but significantly races down the hall to get yeah. the jacket ahead of them. Yes. He Hutch is missing one of his gloves, and none of them can find it. Do you think that it's um, it's a uh, jo- uh, John that takes the glove, or or I said it's guy that guy takes the glove, or is it uh, Roman? Because Roman says he'll see his own way out. I think Guy takes the glove. Guy takes it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think Roman. I think Guy was at 
Roman's apartment. I think he was next door. And I think he, Roman was like, you got to, this is what you got to go do. Go finish this up. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. When Hutch leaves, oh, and also side note, a lot of other horror movies have been inspired by by this idea of like the man plotting and like being in the same space, but saying he's not. Like guy is supposed Mm -hmm. to be out, but he comes home extremely quickly Mm-hmm. Um, how did he get home that quickly? There's no cell phones at that time. Mm-hmm. S- who could text him, right? So I, you know, he was this idea that he's going out and going to these rehearsals and stuff, but he's actually like next door, um, I as he is at the end too. Together. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's been spending. Oh, that is just so disgusting. Like the idea that he's just like right there. Yeah, all the time. Totally, and that that comes and up in the never movie. Left alone. Did you ever see the movie VHS? Yes, mm-hmm. you, the sequence where the boyfriend ends up being next door, even though they've oh, been yeah. like Zoom calling or skyping I, or whatever the whole time. I find that so chilling. I hate it. It's it's like a take on um, they're in the house. You yeah. know, the urban legend, or is that when a stranger calls? When a stranger or is it Black calls, Christmas? it's all yeah. those. Yeah, it's so all that, like, yeah. The calls coming from inside the house. I do not like it. It makes me very unhappy. Oh, it's very it chilling. Really to me. upsets me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is why I like get, I make a point to like no to meet my neighbors, but then to not interact. It's a fine balance yeah. see each other make contact say hello but don't invite people in <laughs> right never invite them in uh <laughs> shoehorn a little vampire in there <laughs> uh, rosemary is upset because hutch said she looks terrible also hutch can't find one of his gloves we said that i think she mm-hmm. she knows something is wrong with her but she's you know, listening to these people around her. She needs to be mm-hmm. isolated from them on purpose she looks because horrific. they would they would be like, you look awful. So she's like surrounded by this cabal of abusers all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that they need that. That's why they're isolating her from her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosemary languishes in bed while Guy watches TV. And Hutch calls Rosemary and asks if she can meet him in front of the Time Life building tomorrow because it's very urgent. Mm-hmm. And Guy seems pissed about it. And he's like, those boy adventure stories are getting to him. And he goes to get some ice cream while his wife writhes in pain. Right. I'm going to get some ice cream. Do you want some? But is that really where he's going? Absolutely not. Yeah. So Rosemary goes out the next day and she tells Minnie that she's not going to be taking her drink. And Minnie doesn't pry, which is out of character for her. So it's almost as if she knows something. Mm-hmm. Rosemary goes out to meet Hutch. It's Christmas in New York City. Most quote unquote wonderful time of the year in New York. <laughs> and she's in so much pain um, that she says like to the heavens, pain be gone. I will have no more of thee. And like kind of laughs creepily also. <laughs> Which I loved. And I was like, I'm saving that for next time. Right? <laughs> uh, when Hutch doesn't show she calls him from a payphone and a woman answers who tells rosemary that he has taken ill that morning and is in a deep coma coma um and there's like the, a lot of over the shoulder shots i noticed in this scene mm-hmm. where we're like in rosemary's perspective of like mm-hmm. her taking the phone call and i think the coma is notable too because miss gardenia or whomever the original old woman whose apartment they take 
also fell into a coma because very pointedly, Rosemary asks in the beginning if she died in the apartment and the building manager says, no, she could, she fell sick in the apartment and then she was in a coma for several weeks before she died. Which is like, not people don't fall into comas that much. Like, you yeah. don't just get sick and go into a coma. Yeah, like, like you don't day. just wake up blind. Right. Yeah, exactly. So these, like, aren't real. It's not like a heart attack or a stroke. Like, it's odd. It's odd, but it's really masterful because at the same time, like, it's everything is through Rosemary. So in some ways, like, until the very end of the movie, you're thinking, like, it still could be in her head. Like, mm-hmm. there's never anything, like, actually supernatural. Um, right. It's, you know, we – she doesn't know if it's in her head either. So that's where we're mm-hmm. at with her. Um, the woman on the phone is Grace Cardiff, uh, sexy European MILF lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we meet her later for a second. I wish we had more of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, while looking at a manger display very pointedly, Minnie – Suddenly, Minnie appears out of nowhere while Rosemary is looking at this manger display. Um, And she insists on bringing Rosemary home. Rosemary spends New Year's at the Castavet's apartment with a bunch of old fogies like Abe Saperstein, who keeps telling her that her pain is not a problem. And Roman says very ominously, Rosemary does not question. I have no idea why. When it turns 1966, Roman says, 1966, the year one. Yeah, she's just like, she's so tired at this point. Like, she's just like, these people are, she doesn't like them. I think she's writing them off, but she's also like giving herself over to like her reality at the same time. So like, she's just like, whatever. And I, I see her looking to the future and like this baby will make things better. You know, like living in a, putting off her current happiness for the promise of the happiness a baby might bring. Mm, that's true. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true. Rosemary tells guys she's having a party. I love this. Um, I love this. It's so satisfying. One of the few satisfying moments in the movie. She's like, we're having a party with our old friends. It's a special party. You have to be under 60 to get in. (laughs) And it's not up for debate. really funny. Like, she has, like, a lot of really great quips. I love when she says, Tannis, anyone? With her. Oh, yeah. Her necklace. Like she's constantly like has these funny asides that like nobody appreciates. I'm like, totally, Love you, Rosemary. totally. It's also the first time she's asserted herself in a really long time, and mm-hmm. she also tries to assert herself with Minnie in the drink. Like Minnie brings her this drink and she pours it down the sink. She's finally fighting back. Um, at Rosemary's party, now she's been in pain for like three, three or four months. Yeah, exactly. Rosemary's like, party with I love her cool 60s friends oh my god they're all each one of them I'm like I want to follow their story yeah exactly they have great looks mm-hmm. um and all of her friends are like why do you look like that why do you look so awful even the men which I think yeah. is really interesting like right. the men acknowledge that like they're still they're being polite but they like all are like yikes and the women are women are like you look awful <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Why you you look sick? Yeah, this, don't. This isn't okay. I actually think this is one of my favorite scenes. It's like a very lovely underrated scene where I agree. Rosemary is like alone with her friends in the kitchen and they lock the door so that guy can't get in. He tries to like bustle in and the one friend keeps being like, "Nope, you're not needed. Nope." 
this isn't about you. Nope, we're doing girl time. Like three or four times buffers him off, which I think is really impressive and like not common in movies like this. Like they really stand up for her. I mean, the movie passes the Bechdel test, you Mm -hmm. know, in in this scene, they're not, they're talking about Rosemary and her pain and her baby. Mm -hmm. And And they're like, this isn't normal. Yeah. Very clear. Yeah. They're, I mean, this is exactly, this is just, it's so poignant because like it's very much the way that people get isolated from their friends when they're being abused. Mm -hmm. And the way in which like housewives were isolated from like their friends and what other women were going through all made to feel like their experience was like what it should be. And that if you're unhappy, it's because you have like something's wrong. You're hysteric and we have a, you know, your uterus uterus is vibrating too much or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which, uh, if there was more vibrating happening, we'd all be a lot happier. Yeah. There. <laughs> like, if yeah. only it could self-vibrate. They're just like, uh, this is not a normal. You have to go to another doctor, not the sadist. Like, mm-hmm. they're all very supportive. I love them. <laughs> I love that too, and I think that's it. Really, re- it harkens to 1960s like solidarity consciousness raising movements yes. that the second wave was really marked by yes and then the the following scene is so poignant too and i just have to believe that this was intentional because mm-hmm. guy is like oh you're listening to those bitches mm. like he says it twice he says yeah. bitches twice and it's so and he doesn't really say bitch at another point in the movie like it's so venomous exactly um and probably exactly how those conversations would often go, like, you know, and still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, once the woman talks to her friends and they're like, this is not okay, all of a sudden those women are bitches. Mm-hmm. And what do they know about our relationship and our private life? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you tell them all of the bad things I do, they're not going to like me. And then that's your fault, yeah. which is another favorite. Oh, <laughs> yeah. How dare you tell them about the behavior that I'm doing? It hurts my feelings. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Can you tell? I don't have any experience with those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both of us are like, did we write this movie? <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually the scene where Rosemary finally yells at Guy also. And she's like, Mm -hmm. what about Dr. Saperstein? Who cares? Because she wants to see her old doctor again. Yeah, because she's straight up like, you're going to hurt Dr. Saperstein's feelings. And she's like, I've been in pain for four months. Like, it's so blatant that he doesn't care about her. It's so great that we actually get to see her pushing back. But unfortunate that it's taken this long and that she's so deep inside of this, like, plot already. Yes, and suddenly in the middle of argument, her pain stops. Um, And Rosemary, like, laughs because she's finally feeling relieved for the first time and she knows the baby's okay. And Mm -hmm. um, Guy is like, instead of being like, oh, wow, that's great. Guy is like, what did you put in that drink you made yourself? Like, Mm -hmm. he's he's like, what did you do to the baby? Um, Right. But he also is too scared to touch the baby kicking in her body. Mm -hmm. Like he's like, okay. Yeah. Which is not normal (laughs) for two people who are having a baby together. People are always excited about that. Even the people who aren't involved in having the baby, like friends are usually excited, you know? Yeah. He knows something. Yeah. Uh, What do you make of the pain ending in that moment? That I was going to ask you the same thing. I 
I honestly don't know. Part of me is like, is that in, you know, was that supernatural? You know, was that like, okay, this is, you know, this is enough or, you know, she's going to, she's going to find out if this doesn't end this part of Mm -hmm. the, the experience doesn't end. Um, Was it, a, some psych- way to psychologically mess her up, like keep her in pain, keep her frail and weak for four months, and then mm-hmm. she's great, so grateful to not be in pain anymore. That she just doesn't question. Yeah, things. I know. I was wondering that too. Like, how much of the pain is the fact that it's like a demon or like the devil is sucking at you from the inside, or how much of it is like what they're f- literally feeding her to dumb her down and make her weak? Yeah. It's never quite sure. I mean, I think it's interesting to think of any of those things as possibilities. Right. And I think it's also purposely ambiguous because it's like, is this in her head? Mm -hmm. Um, And now as soon as she yelled about it, it's, you know, she's like let it out this like psychosomatic response. And now it's like not not happening anymore. Mm, Um, That's that's a good point too. like finally stands up for herself. Right. So over time, Rosemary becomes healthier and more full of life. Now that she's no longer in pain, she decorates her nursery. Um, she starts taking Minnie's drinks again. She Rosemary gets a call from Grace Cardiff that Hutch has died. And she goes to the funeral and meets Hutch's daughters. And she also meets Grace, uh, that hot milf who gives her a book mm-hmm. that Hutch insisted she have when he came to in a moment of consciousness and clarity and told her to tell Rosemary the name is an anagram. So when Hutch like wakes up from his coma, he still thinks it's the next it's that day that he's supposed to meet Rosemary, even right. though it's been a f- like three months, three months. Yeah. yeah. And he, you know, tells Grace to give her that book. And the name is an anagram, but we don't know which name he's talking about. Minnie comes over with a shake and is nosy about the book and who gave it to her. Rosemary unwraps the book and it's called All of Them Witches. I love that title. I love it too. It's once Minnie is gone, she doesn't open it in front of Minnie. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. I love spooky books in horror movies. I want them all to be real. It's one of my favorite things. Or like when a movie, a horror movie will open with like images of books Ooh. like just like in like in Bram Stoker's Dracula like just the image like the woodcuts of vampires it's so moody and it sets the tone so well it's so good I want this book to be real very badly yeah it reminds me of because I got you know as most teens do I feel like when I was 12 or 13 and I got really into the occult in witchcraft it was like going to the library with my best friend and the whole occult section was at the bottom of another section with you know ghosts and aliens and stuff and all the witch stuff was on the very bottom row so she and I would sit uh, and the bottom and the, and just like pull each book out and like stack them next to us and like read them. And this book just all of them were from like that time period. There's never anything modern. It was always like 60s and 70s stuff. Love, it. <laughs> Love that. Um, so in the book, Rosemary finds out about Tannis root, also called like the devil's weed or something. Devil, devil's pepper. Devil's pepper. Okay, devil's pepper. Um, I'm like the devil's weed, man. <laughs> That's just marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> the devil's lettuce. Um, she finds out about like, she reads about the Trench sisters and she reads about this warlock named Adrian Marcado, um, who lived in the Bramford. 
and mm-hmm. with a scrub and oh and he was murdered in the Bramford by a mob uh in the the lobby of the Bramford just so salacious yes. like can you imagine if you lived in a building where like a mob where murdered a warlock someone? was murdered in a, <laughs> in, in a fucking lobby a dream i would insist they put up a plaque yeah exactly <laughs> With a Scrabble set, Rosemary tries to figure out what exactly the name is an anagram means. And Mm -hmm. she tries it with the title of the book. She almost gives up. And then she realizes, like she just spells out Roman Castavet and realizes that his name is an anagram for Stephen Mercado, who is Mm -hmm. the son of Adrian Mercado. So Mm -hmm. he's his descendant. Interesting. Rosemary confronts Guy about the discovery and Guy like explains it away and won't listen to the witch talk, he says. Rosemary (sighs) wants to move out. Immediately, Guy takes her book away, of course. Rosemary puts it on a high shelf. Yeah. Rosemary takes makes a series of um bad decisions that she couldn't help making she didn't know and she tells Saperstein about Roman and Minnie and he seems to understand and agree with her um he's a good actor a gaslighter would yeah Yeah. he's much better at it than um than guy is he's like incredible I think he told me his father was a coffee exporter you know like he's you know he's like totally on Rosemary's side Yeah. yeah um so he tells rosemary actually that roman is ill and only has a month left to live conveniently and wants to travel (laughs) to europe but he didn't want to offend rosemary by leaving before the baby is born so saperstein conveniently takes care of the problem by saying oh he'll tell roman and minnie to leave on their trip this is all so codependent and so that way rosemary doesn't have to leave the bramford at all who does this like yeah. they're and, all and way so too convoluted. intimately involved yeah yes, like why does the doctor even know all of this stuff about him if he's like a gynecological doctor like stop interacting so much right like i'll tell them to leave like how about none of us tell anybody anything like yeah, everyone makes their own decisions based on what their needs are <laughs> <laughs> rosemary finds out that guy threw out the book um oh that is in, it's so infuriating because she's like that's the last thing hutch gave me like that's a gift and he's like i'm not thinking about hutch it's I'm really about you. it's honestly dare i say again triggering i had an mm-hmm. abusive partner do something very similar to me <sighs> yeah she threw out a book that someone had gave me um that is like no longer in my life and oh my god because she was jealous Throwing um, out a book is like one of the world's greatest sins. I know like, it's I fucked. can't even. It's so blasphemous. I have kept so many books that I don't even care for because I'm like, I must treasure a book. Who knows when the government will take them away? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Truly, yeah. So awful. Totally unhinged behavior. Unhinged, and yeah, it's also just so realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosemary is distraught outside she actually walks into traffic and Ooh. mia farrow didn't want to film that scene <laughs> no because roman polanski really made her walk into traffic it was yes. real traffic yeah it's a good it's a beautifully filmed scene and i was wondering about it and then when i learned that i was like oh that's why it looks so good because she's actually walking into traffic and then the only thing i'll say about it on how it's like kind of okay is that he was the he operated the camera too so he didn't make a dp or any other film crew he's like i'll go into traffic with you so it's still 
loony a little bit but then part of me also as like a filmmaker was like a little jealous because that's kind of like shit that my mind is like oh, let's make this as realistic as possible and like everyone's so concerned with safety now that you can't get anything close to that anymore and I'm just like man to be like a pushy, like moderately abusive director in the 60s. Oh, you like, could do whatever amazing. the hell you wanted. I know. It sounds like paradise. Are you kidding me? Get anything made yeah. that you wanted. Of course, all of the women and queer people at this time are languishing in obscurity. Yeah. Has- <laughs> they can't make films. No. And we want to be just as abusive and pushy, goddamn. I know, and now that we're allowed to make films, we can't be abusive. It sucks. I am I'm drafting not, your I'm call out post in my notes app <laughs> yeah. as we speak. Luce like, Tomlin Brenner is an abuser. I, I want to be a wannabe abuser. Yeah, even worse, a wannabe abuser. <laughs> Um, I just want to get a good shot, man. All these safety regulations are harshing my creative buzz. <laughs> Literally me. Uh, she drops her necklace on on the sidewalk in a sidewalk grate, um, and she buys another my, buys more witchcraft books. This is where I would argue the sequence of scenes is when New York does become a character in the film mm, because okay. walking around New York, no, you don't have a car. It's summer. You're pregnant. That is extremely stressful and antagonizing. Mm-hmm. And it would, That's not, a good point. it would not be as stressful in another city. <laughs> Yeah, just she's wouldn't. so sweaty, yeah. which I really like. And she's waddling, which I think is like a really great, you know, a character point. Because there's some movies with pregnant women where they're moving like they're obviously not pregnant. And I was like, okay, like women don't gallop like that. Um, so I really like how uncomfortable she looks. It's such a, you're such a good point. I, I kind of forgot about that scene. And I, it only um, registers for me because I've been in these situations running away from abusive people or walking around in New York City heat mm. it's just so oppressive and stressful and if mm-hmm. you've experienced that it's like you can you don't forget it you, you don't forget it and you feel that when you watch it in the film mm. so rosemary reads more about witchcraft and connects a passage about cursing people using personal objects to um to Donald Baumgarten, the actor who went blind, that guy replaced. She even calls him to confirm, and that's Tony Curtis on the phone, the actor. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so interesting. Jamie Lee Curtis's father. Yes. Um, and Roman Polanski wanted him on the phone because it would be like uncanny, like people would recognize the voice. Wow. So it would add to this like unmooring sense. Oh, I love that yeah. that's so clever yes it really is why does he have to be fuck so you Roman. <laughs> i hate that really is, i honestly like I, I just have to be honest and candid like i just hate that i love this movie so much like yeah no of course and i hate that i'm like oh you're a brilliant director like you are you're very good at this that sucks yeah it does suck but I think it's important to acknowledge because I know there's a ton of people who won't even watch this film when it's just like, I think we need to acknowledge that talented people, interesting people, smart people, people that we would maybe otherwise be interested in spending time with are capable of terrible things, of hurting people, because hurting people is actually not an evil or monstrous thing. It's in, in a supernatural way. It's a very 
normal human thing that a lot more people do than we acknowledge because we turn them into these crazy monsters instead of just like the an average intellectual talented person that we could hang out with you know well, you know and I, you know i completely agree with that sentiment i don't think that the idea that um abusers are inhuman monsters is serving anyone um especially survivors Mm -hmm. like I just don't I don't find any comfort in that idea that the people who have abused or raped me are inhuman monsters like that doesn't feel right or good to me especially the Mm -hmm. people I had relationships with Um, there were obviously like things about them that I loved and Mm -hmm. I, it's just, it's something that human beings do to each other and not supernatural. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the thing that nobody wants to say when we talk about, oh, can you still enjoy work that's made by somebody who's not a quote unquote good person? I don't believe in good or bad people, but it's, yeah, he's quote unquote an asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, can you? That's st- true. I believe in assholes. <laughs> I do too. Uh, but he, he, how can you enjoy a work made by an abuser? And the thing that nobody wants to say is like, well, how good is it? Like, yes, Rosemary's <sighs> Baby is a brilliant film, and that's why mm-hmm. it endures, and people keep going back to it. Whereas something like Jeepers Creepers, I don't care yeah. about giving up because it's not good. Yeah, so, we don't need to fight for that movie. Exactly. It's not an important part of history. Mm-hmm. So, and I also think that um, making the work of people who have who have abused people unavailable is like a form of censorship. Censorship. Yeah, I don't. Especially if I it's something like I, about a woman's experience at the same time. That's my other issue. I was like, well, no so many horror movies came directly from this movie and it's anti-intellectual to refuse to watch this because you are cutting yourself off from an important part of film history. Like how can you watch the exorcist and not watch Rosemary's baby? You wouldn't even have the exorcist. And I think I said this to you when we were messaging before we decided to do this together was that like, this is Ira Levin's book and Ira Levin hasn't done anything wrong. And it, it is praised, as I was saying earlier, for being like one of the most faithful film adaptations of any uh, movie, you know, book to movie ever. Because Roman Plansky lifted full pages out of this. So it's like, yes, he did the adaptation, but all of the dialogue that you like was written by Ira Levin. The and also a lot of other lives. talented people made this film. Like yes. Mia Farrow's performance, incredible. Ruth Gordon's performance, incredible. The score, the the Christoph Kamita score, the costume design, the production design, the Richard Silver production design. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of genius that goes into these films that isn't just the director. Right. And giving it all to him is buying into auteur theory, which I think the people who are critical of supporting by watching his films are also su- critical of auteur th- theory. You know what I mean? Like those two, the ideas, they're in opposition. You can't say, I don't want to watch his stuff and also say you don't believe in auteur theory because you're supporting that. There's a lot in there. Um, I also just, uh, I my big thing also is that 
I think a lot of people are rapists and we only know about some of them. I'm the same way. I think I'm never surprised. Not to be cynical, but like as a survivor, I'm just never surprised when one of these guys gets outed to be a rapist. I'm like, yeah, obviously. Of course, they have a lot of power. Right. Men with zero power rape. Like men who live on the street in abject poverty rape. Mm-hmm. The women so that course, are around them. So of course, you have like everything handed to you, anyways. Like, why wouldn't you just be like the lines so blurred? Whatever. Like, of course, they're already obviously they're assholes, anyways. I just, I'm just like, we don't know. There's so much work that we support, and we don't know the people behind it. So, like, what about all the artists who are dead, who will never know what they were like in real life? Yeah, like, do you get a pass for enjoying that person's work because you just happen to not know that they were a rapist? Yeah, exactly. And it's like every moment. I mean, anything you're listening to or watching to could be made in some part at some point down the line by somebody who was a rapist. Like, it's just if one in four women are sexually assaulted, then then about one in four men are sexually assaulting. Yeah, so exactly. look at like a credits list and I'm sure someone on there is a rapist. Again, not to be cynical or to be glib. I mean, I again, as, you, as a survivor, I feel like it is my right to be as glib and a comedian <laughs> to be glib about these things because I just get so eye-rolly about the like, oh, we just can't. We have to get rid of all that. And I'm like, oh, God. I know. It feels like a book burning. I don't, I just never thought. I'm like, everyone's a fucking rapist. Not to say it's okay, but like, I just, I don't know. It's not okay, but it's just not the way to fix it. I just think it's really ignorant to act like more people aren't rapists. (laughs) I think also we can incorporate this into our understanding and history of the work. Like doing this podcast, we're telling you all, the listeners, about the history of it. And part of that history is Roman Polanski is a rapist. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it needs to be – first of all, I don't think you can separate the art from the artist. I think you can just make – you can make it part of the experience. Like – Roman Polanski being a rapist is as fucked up as this is, is part of the experience of this film for me. Like it's something Mm -hmm. I think about when I watch it. And as someone who was raped as a teen child, and then again, as an adult woman, I feel like it is my right to engage with that. However I want to. And I totally, yeah. And I think that it, you know, in our effort to, to change rape culture i think survivors police each other about Mm -hmm. the things that we enjoy and Mm -hmm. i see a very disturbing trend of women artists being forced to admit that something happened to them because you're not allowed to talk about something like to write about rape unless you experienced rape which i think is Mm -hmm. really so damaging upsetting and mm-hmm. anti-intellectual and anti-art oh, yeah, yeah. we're all like abolitionists until it comes to the cop in our head yeah and then we're like no but i love him <laughs> like right i mean i so think we're constantly of, policing each other i forget her name but i th- i always bring up the book my dark vanessa where the author um used like an amalgamation of experiences to write that book and she wrote in the beginning of the book like this is not it's not a memoir like this is a work of fiction and then basically had to admit that she's a survivor because people pilloried her for writing about uh, a teenager being groomed by an adult man and she basically was like okay this happened to me it's not a memoir because 
every, there are different things in it and it is fiction. Like how uh, dare you force, like, are you happy? Now you've made a survivor go through it again and publicly exactly, have to talk exactly, to all of you. Exactly. We don't owe that to and people. It's, Obviously we're both talking about it now, but like, you know, we don't owe that to people. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, it's also misogynist, the mm-hmm. idea that like a woman has to, everything has to be autobiographical. Um, and or proved because because it, it's like this larger idea that we have to prove why we know something, and it's never that we are researched on it. it how you you see that with the way that women artists talk online all the time is like, well, this did happen to me. Well, this, even if it's not about anything violent, it's always like, well, in my this is about my experience, and it's like it's our it's our armor. Our experience is like so that we don't have other people telling us that we couldn't possibly know. Where it's like, all right, well, my experience is reading books, and I read books my entire life and like you know it's like yeah I've lived through things and that's in my art but also I've been watching and reading things my entire life and that knowledge is just as powerful and meaningful even if something didn't directly happen to me I'm a smart person (laughs) right and Rosemary's Baby is such an important cultural artifact that it really transcends Mm. you know like it's or Mm -hmm. doesn't it transcend but it's it's so important that it needs everything about it needs to be considered. And that mm-hmm. is one aspect of it. And it is like a chilling aspect considering what the film is about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of people's visions who went into creating this and not just Roman Polanski, but like you said, Ira Levin as well. And also the mm-hmm. way that it's acted and realized, you know, like this is a, it's a movies are collaborative effort um, anyway, so yeah, well, we went down that path. Yeah, I knew it, it needed to happen. <laughs> the dam uh, broke. Yeah, it just been building in me this whole time. <laughs> Completely fed up and terrified, Rosemary packs a bag and goes to Saperstein, hoping that he can help her. Um, and this is when she's in the waiting room and she sees the "God is Dead" Time magazine cover, which was a real uh, cover. Yeah. So the receptionist comments on like the tannis smell. And also says that Dr. Saperstein wears the same necklace. And that's when Rosemary realizes, like, they're all in on it. And Mm -hmm. she flees, pregnant, carrying the luggage in the hot New York City heat. Poor thing. Mm -hmm. She calls Dr. Hill from a payphone. Oh, just like the anxiety of this scene. Like, she calls Mm -hmm. Dr. Hill from a payphone. It's very, it's shot in a way that's very claustrophobic. And she insists on seeing him and, like, rants and sounds really crazy. There's Mm -hmm. so much tension built up in this scene where she sees like a guy outside the phone booth it's like a fake out actually William Castle yes played by William Castle but from behind he looks like Samperstein so she thinks that the doctors come to like whisk her away right Rosemary goes to Dr. Hill and she like spills her guts about Guy and the witches and how he made a deal with them um and her like this is just because this is like happening in the news right now this really reminded me of Britney's recent um when she was talking to the judge testimony yeah, yeah. her testimony because it, it, the reason you they sound crazy is because they haven't been able to speak for so long right. like the way that Britney was like you know kind of ranting and you know she would be like I'm I, you know I'm sorry like I, I know I keep talking but it's just that I know I'm not going to be able to talk to you again after this. And, right, and there's so much to say. Like, yeah, every exactly. detail matters. And it reminded me of that, like, the desperation. It's like, it's they've driven to her to such a point where, yeah, she's going to look crazy. 
because mm-hmm. she's so desperate and you know and that's the point too because yeah. it's a reaffirming story just like with Britney they I mean talk about classic gaslighting they spent the huge multi-million dollar campaign proving that trying to prove that Britney was crazy so no one should listen to her exactly um Dr. Hill seems to believe her and Rosemary is so relieved um the doctor asks if she wants to go into Mount Sinai Hospital this evening which is where I was born uh-huh. <laughs> and he'll see if he can get her in and you know she says she as she's like laying down and Dr. Hill puts her in this other room to go take a nap and as she's laying down she says to herself nice clean hospital with no visitors and I wrote my note here is this woman wants solitude <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. she's so tired of these people bothering so her <laughs> like she has absolutely no privacy in this film Mm-hmm. Rosemary naps at Dr. Hills and she dreams of like being with her baby surrounded by smiling people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when Dr. Hill opens the room, the door to her room, he enters with Saperstein and Guy and he's like completely betrayed her. And crushing. It's this crushing, really misogynist scene. Um, Saperstein threatens to take her to a mental hospital if she says anything about witchcraft. Which like, I think she should have taken him up on that. Totally. Okay, cool. Yeah, with doctors that aren't you. Yeah. Like. Right. Um they these they've totally betrayed her. They're talking about her like she's not there. It's mm-hmm. very much you know, playing into this history of hysteria and pregnancy. Um there's this really disturbing shot in the cab with Rosemary between her two captors. Mm-hmm. Um, they take her back to the Bramford and Rosemary tries to escape by dropping her things on the floor and distracting the men so she can steal the elevator. And Really she, genius, really. Really genius, yeah. She locks herself in the apartment as Guy like fights to get in. But um, she tries to call her friend. There's this really scary shot of like two of the men like sneaking behind her as she's on the phone. <laughs> they're, they've gone into the, they're getting into the apartment through the other door. Um, mm-hmm. the whole gang Which of Rosemary what? still doesn't know about. Yeah, she still doesn't know about it. The whole gang of Satanists is there, and they like attack and subdue her and inject her with a sedative. And this the poor thing ha- goes into labor and has to give birth in her bedroom. <laughs> and she's extremely distraught. Obviously, I mean, this is a fucking nightmare. Like giving birth yeah. in a way that you don't want to, surrounded by enemies. <laughs> Yes, seriously. And and she's being, you know, he's constantly shooting her up with something, with sedatives. And so it's like you can't, you're also losing control, like, of your mental, like, you are you don't have control of your surroundings and you're losing control of your mind. Yeah, yeah. So Rosemary apologizes to her baby as she's giving birth, which is so sad. I know. Little Jenny or Andy, the two names she's picked out. Rosemary awakens to like a hideous smiling guy who asks her about her baby who we find out is a boy. Um, And basically what happens is Guy and Dr. Saperstein tell Rosemary that the baby has died. Um, Mm. But Saperstein is so insensitive. He's like the complications won't affect future births. And he also says it's because you didn't want to go to the hospital, even though in the he scene blames before, her for her for the for the baby's death. Mm-hmm. Even though he wanted to, it was he's the one who wanted. They t- they took her from a doctor's office. Yes. like they made her give birth at home. The and then immediately wild said it was gaslighting. Because of her. Ugh. 
Rosemary just, doesn't believe them and freaks out about how they're witches and they sedate her again. Um, guy, also, meanwhile, they're taking breast milk from her. So they keep taking breast milk from her. She's like languishing away in her room and she starts hiding her pills. Um, she knows the baby must be alive because they keep collecting the milk. So what are and they she doing tries with to, it? Like, sully it with a dirty spoon at one point, which I thought was so clever. Yes. And Laura Louise like takes the dirty spoon out of there, and she's like, "Stop it! You're making a mess." Yeah. And it's ugh, Rosemary. See, Rosemary's so she's smart. so smart. Yeah, she's really smart. So now we get to the climax of the film, the ending. Rosemary like escapes from her room with a butcher knife <laughs> and goes next door via the hidden closet because she's finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. And she finds herself in the Castavet's apartment where she makes her way down the hall with this butcher's knife muttering. And to- suddenly the walls are covered with photograph or uh, paintings that we've never seen before. Yes, yes. And Everything is out and on display. Yeah. And she's like muttering things she remembers from her dreams. Like, you got her too high. Like, she's like unraveling. She's <laughs> like, oh, she's earned it at this point. Everyone totally. told her she was unraveling. Totally. <laughs> she comes upon everyone gathered in the sitting room. And Guy is chatting with Minnie and Roman, who are supposed to be in Europe. Mm-hmm. It uh, has like a dreamlike quality. It, it, I think it mirrors her dreams at this point. So you're still sort of like, wait, is this happening? Because nobody's having like an appropriate reaction to her showing up. Exactly. Um, someone screams, but that's it. When it's, I think when the scream is when it breaks it and brings you into like the fact that this is reality. Right. Rosemary approaches the black bassinet. Oh my god, I loved it so much. Looking at that made me want to have a baby. Yeah, it's like, that's, god, how that's cool. exactly what a goth parent would do. The black bassinet with the upside down cross, like mobile hanging up. Oh, gorgeous. It's like from the ceiling, like long taffeta. Like yeah. it's so like ornate and lush. It's like, so good. Um, her f- she approaches the black bassinet in the center of the room. Um, and her face contorts in horror. This is the famous scene where she says, what have you done to its eyes? So something is wrong with the baby. And Roman says, Satan is his father, not Guy. Hail Satan. <laughs> That's, you know, it's all revealed. Okay, now yeah. they're all Satanists. This is the Antichrist. This is the son of Satan. Um, Minnie says, he chose you out of all the mortal women in the world to have his one <laughs> and only son. like... Still being a Jewish grandmother. Like, yeah, exactly. Like what you did. Congrats. I'm proud of you. God is dead. <laughs> Satan lives. The year is one. Um, Roman encourages a traumatized Rosemary to be a mother to Adrian, her baby. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what they named the baby. And it looks like Satanists from all over the world are like coming to see this baby, right? Um. Guy tries to appeal to Rosemary saying she wasn't really hurt, right? And she spits in his face. Oh, that part's so great. Because she's like, we can have other children. You're really fine. Nothing's wrong. And I'm a great actor now. Right. And the baby is crying and Laura Louise is like rocking it like really, really fast. So aggressively. Yeah. And Rosemary is like, well, he's crying because you're rocking him too fast. And she kind of like slowly intervenes and Roman encourages her. And 
you're the mother. Yeah, you're the mother. (laughs) And Rosemary accepts her fate and begins to rock her Satan baby hesitantly, then more confidently, as all of the coven gathers around her. And the camera zooms in on Rosemary's face as the music plays and an aerial shot of the Bramford and then credits and then end. And that is the ending of Rosemary's Baby. Tell me what you feel about the end. Yeah, I'm curious about your take as well. I've never been totally confident that this means that she is a part of the coven or that she is going to raise this baby. But it's, oh, it's interesting because she has been wanting to like have a child and she she's been reading about it right she's smart so she knows like oh, yes the way you should rock a baby um and she is sort of broken at that point but she, i don't know she was just very much like she knows something's wrong at the same time i don't know i'm not convinced i think it's ambiguous on purpose i i, mean, I know other people will be more confident in being like oh yeah she's the mother of satan now but I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I think like I think of it on a more symbolic level. I just feel like she it's like the power of motherhood almost mm-hmm. like the bond between her and this baby is so strong that she acquiesces mm-hmm. to she's going to love it no matter what. Yeah, to this existence. And it's also very symbolic in the way women would acquiesce to that entire existence of, you know, being a perfect wife and mother, even though it was miserable and alienating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's it's sort true. of my that's sort of my take on it. I just see her as like not be necessarily becoming part of the coven, but just like accepting this fate. Yeah. yeah. And like trying to separate it. Like I'm not a part of the coven. I just take care of Satan's baby. <laughs> I mean, I also see it as like she's totally lost her mind. Mm-hmm. Like from this extended like, experience of abuse. Yeah. Like how could you not? So at this point it's like fine. Yeah. <laughs> like totally. I can't fight anymore. But she does like, she, do you think do you see that? And then of her with the knife is like her last gasp of, um, independent individuality. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I I think it's funny how the, there's even a little bit of humor towards the end where she drops the knife on the floor. It hits the ground like standing up and Minnie runs over, takes the knife out of the hardwood and like licks it and tries to like fix the, yes, <laughs> totally. the floor. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, these people, it's like never... <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, Satan's here, but also this is my floor. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luce, I feel like I've, you know, talked talked your ear off for three hours. <laughs> I loved it. This is a dream. I'm still like, oh, there's something in there more that we need to get at. <laughs> there's still so there's like still so much more, right? And it's it's that's part of the brilliance of this film is like on the mm. rewatches, you just you see more and more. Every what, time, every different every time single of my time. life. Yeah. And so yeah. many films have tried to emulate this. And the one, most recent one I'm thinking of is the new movie, False Positive, mm-hmm. um, that came out on Hulu. And, um, you know, I'm not going to give an opinion on it, but it's obvi- like it's obviously influenced by Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
it just kind of like updates up, updates it um yeah it goes in an interesting new direction i i liked a lot of the effort that they were making me too I, yeah i thought people were really hard on it and i was like oh there's I just people- some image imagery that i was like i've never seen that before and i i like it <laughs> i thought people were way too hard on it as well and i especially enjoyed the gay lover subplot i thought that that was like yes. an interesting addition like what if um what if roman and uh guy were actually fucking <laughs> like, yes that's yeah. that's kind of what that that was or roman yeah, and dr exactly. sapper or whatever which I think is interesting to think about because they sort of hint at the the manager, the building manager, as being effeminate, and um, he makes fun of guy makes fun of him with an effeminate voice oh, at one point. Yeah, right, right. There's yeah. something everywhere. There's Plus that, that actor who's the building manager was in um, House on Haunted Hill. Mm. Um, Another gay ass movie. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's so many little things here. Like, you know, we could even talk about the relationship historically between Jewishness and queerness. Like, Mm -hmm. there's there's so much to get into here. And um, I feel like we talked for three hours and we still just scratched (laughs) the surface. Like, it's really deep and really such an important part of American film history. Absolutely. And so and so scary. I just the amount of reviews and like writings that I was trying to just get some more insight afterwards. I'm like, what haven't I thought of? You know, let me see what I can read. And then it's always like, oh, nothing new is being said. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm smarter than everyone now. It was just so many people being like, well, is that really a horror movie? And like, I'm sorry, this is one of the scariest movies ever. I don't know what if you need people to be like bisected and ripped apart for it to be a horror movie. Like there's so much stuff that just gets to be a horror movie because it's disgusting, but lacks thrills and suspense and actual terror. But because it's repulsive, it's automatically horror. And like, I'm very happy that have repulsive things. I want the world to be more repulsive in that way. But like, I also don't think it's fair to just be like, if it's at all thoughtful, it can't be scary. Because I just talking about this now and hearing you be like, yeah, this is like her giving in. And I think maybe I haven't ever been able to fully like embrace that because I, I love Rosemary so much and I want more for her. And I like want her to be able to get away from this. But the reality does really seem to be like what you said that like she is like I'm up this is my role and I'm and I'm taking it and like what is fucking scarier than than that than settling into a role that someone else has planned for you that not only you don't like but it makes you sick and erases every bit of individuality about you like that's horror it is and Ira Levin is kind of always exploring those themes and does in Stepford Wives too you know that's not a happy Mm -hmm. ending either no Stepford Wives is extremely depressing I think that this was like I think his books really were a big part of my like nascent feminism that like reading those as like a 13 14 year old and Shirley Jackson as well those were such a big part of my a feminist understanding of the world before I even you know studied it in school or, or knew much about it historically um and I just I have such and maybe you have this feeling too of watching it growing up of just being like I can't I don't feel like I can separate this story from like me as a person um and maybe that's why I get very defensive about it also because it's just like um like how dare you you know 
you don't want to tangle with this story that is just so representative of the way that like I wouldn't have even been able to see the world in the way that I see it now without it. So to say that people should never read it or to never watch it just makes me be like so knee jerkily angry, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I'm, I'm just very hard pressed to think of you know, we're in like the age of like mainstream feminism now in a way where it's like everywhere and everybody's a feminist in a way that I wished for as a child, but in a real monkey's paw twist did not see it happening like this. <laughs> and it's like, well, now everybody's feminist, but the stuff that's being made is not any more challenging. In fact, not even a shade is challenging as this movie is. Yeah, false positive is... When I'm sorry, but when held up to Rosemary's baby, come on, like it's it's, just, it's hard to see it without the uh, the other one. What's yeah, there? It's true. It's a lot of it, really cool imagery and ideas without Rosemary's baby. It's not a full story. But you can also see the like glimmers of the things that were good before the meat grinder of Hulu or Netflix studios got to them. Like they weren't running. Yeah, they weren't like running movies by focus groups in 1968. Right. And now that's always what happens. They show the movie to groups of people and then they strip it down based on what they think is going to sell. Like, I'm upset about Roman Polanski. Like, I'm very, you know, I reread everything to, again today. And it's like, how many times do I have to read about a 13-year-old girl being drugged and, yeah, you know. Yeah, even like watching him in interviews, I'm like, I can't even stand him. It felt it felt awful. Yeah. But I don't think, and, and, you know, I'm in therapy and I'm always working on my triggers and things so that I can interact in the world and not project that onto other people. But, like, it does put you through the ringer to have to, like, watch some of that stuff sometimes. But it's like, I want to be challenged. I'm not just retra- I'm not re-traumatizing myself. I'm being challenged. You know, it's not all, like, and that everybody's at a different spot with that point. I don't think people should, you know, have to all expose them th- themselves to things that make them you know, relive trauma. And nobody is asking for that, but we're also asking that you don't make it so that we can't watch it if we want to. Exactly. Exactly. And just to encourage people to like maybe push themselves a little bit. And it's like, I have a, you know, you can follow on Instagram, Too Much Productions. I have a horror comedy DIY filmmaking collective with um, my friend, fellow filmmaker, Shannon Brown. And our whole mission is to make Uh, stories that are too much for the mainstream and to support other filmmakers whose voices and 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 ideas are marginalized because they're too weird or too gross uh, or or just like something that the mainstream won't touch and there's just I mean people are hungry for that like we need to see other things and I have to try to remain optimistic in the face of what feels like impossible (laughs) like you said the meat grinder it feels like it's coming for all of us i do feel like french female directors are given a lot more of that leeway yeah um but but if you move to france then you have to be with roman polanski and he'll win the awards right in front of you (laughs) yeah exactly and then you have to deal with french people right it's like my famously anti-french podcast (laughs) even my last episode i was making fun of french people too (laughs) famously anti-french see the reviews now (laughs) it is undeniable that the landscape is extremely corporate and difficult to work in in a way that it just wasn't then there's always been a studio system right like i don't definitely i don't want to it's just it's 
it it's just more of the same. It's more of the same. It's worse. It mm-hmm. literally is objectively harder to make <laughs> weird movies now. Because um, well, in this documentary, um, Ro- was it Robert Evans uh, was the producer who was talking about how Paramount was like behind. They were the 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 bottom at the studio chain at that point, and they were looking for challenging, exciting, bizarre new stories. And I just like. When is a when in our lifetime, you know, when is a studio looking for something bizarre and challenging? Like that's just not the it's MO true. anymore. Yeah, no, that, that's very true, and it's kind of like how Warner Brothers produced the Devils because mm-hmm. they were trying to make like crazy art house movies because that was what was popular. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> Luce, thank you so, so much for this conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I just think that you're such a brilliant uh, writer and thinker and critic. And I love talking about movies with you. It's like when I listen to your podcast, I'm just like, I'm the third person. I'm always like, oh, excellent point. And here's what I think. I'm like washing my face. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I have to stop myself from texting you every time because I'm just like, I listened to your two hour episode and I have a thousand thoughts. On I mean, it you myself. can always text me that. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you have the green light. And we'll yeah. see. <laughs> Maybe regret that later. <laughs> um, uh, but no, this was a joy. I love talking about movies. Um, I love making movies. I was going to say, if you guys want to check me out online, it's LTB Comedy, is uh, where I kind of streamline everything. But um, too much productions is all film stuff. It's always Halloween podcast is that I did not even talk about this, but I have a year round Halloween history podcast. Uh, So my love of history gets kind of funneled into that, too. And I talk about horror films on there sometimes Um, and a film podcast. You need to see this. So there's a lot of places for you to get my opinions. I never stop. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And yeah, go go give Luce a follow. Um, Listen to her podcasts. Um, I was on... You need to see this for one episode. Yes, uh, Alucarda. Talking about Alucarda, yes. And yes, where we helped my co host Cozy discover that he has a blood fetish now, maybe. <laughs> Opening minds and hearts and aorta is all, 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 over, all yeah. over the world. Um, yeah, and check you know, out that episode. You know where to find me, as always. Uh, Girls Guts Jallo on Twitter and Instagram and patreon.com slash Girls Guts giallo uh i got bonus content um you know if you miss me now that the podcast is monthly please consider signing up i have um i'm very active on there i do screenings and bonus episodes and um i give you access to my notes and things uh so join me and luce thank you so much and um you so much Hail Satan! And hail Satan, the year is one! <laughs> <laughs>